Since the COVID-induced market crash at the start of 2020, commodities have had a strong run. This has encouraged many people to wonder if we are in a commodity super cycle. Are we in a commodity super cycle? What cyclical and structural forces are driving commodity prices today and might influence prices in the future? All of this and more in this episode of the Commodity Exchange. Welcome to the Commodity Exchange, a podcast where we bring to you insights from the world of commodities. Whether you're an investor or just want to learn more about the topic, this is the podcast for you. I'm Mitesh Shah. I'm the Head of Commodities and Macroeconomic Research here at Wisdom Tree Europe. And I'm Mubin Tahir, Director, Macroeconomic Research and Tactical Solutions at Wisdom Tree. Before we begin, I do need to state the following. To clarify, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Wisdom Tree and are subject to change. Anything we present in this podcast is not intended to be relied upon as a forecast, research, nor as investment or tax advice. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities, and reliance upon them is at the sole discretion of the listener. Please remember, past performance is no indication of future results. So, a warm welcome to everyone tuning into this brand new podcast. We hope to give you some insights into the world of commodities from the perspective of one of the largest commodity product providers, Wisdom Tree. Although we won't be talking about product, both Mabin and I work in research and regularly comment on the broad macroeconomic trends that are moving commodity markets. And then we'll get into the micro too. Commodities are a diverse set of assets and each commodity has its own specific story to tell uh, that sets it apart from the rest of the group. Excellent, Nitesh. Since this is our first podcast, as you said, why don't we uh, start with a quick introduction about ourselves, uh, tell our listeners uh, a little bit about ourselves. So why don't you uh, tell everyone a, a little bit about your journey and uh, what has brought you here to talk about commodities today? Yeah. So I started my career about 21 years ago um, as an economist. and I'm an economist by training and background. Uh, so I worked in the research, uh, economic research departments and investment bank at a research consultancy and at a rating agency in the structured finance groups. Um, however, uh, I've been at uh, Wisdom Tree for the past 10 years. Uh, Wisdom Tree is an exchange traded pro- uh, product provider. Um, and we offer one of the broadest ranges of commodity exchange traded products in, in, in the world. Um, it's a privilege uh, for me to be to head the commodity and macro team here and work with great analysts like uh, Mobin. So Mobin, how about you give yourself a little introduction yourself? Sure. So I started in the finance industry around 10 years ago in the field of investment consulting. After initially being a consultant for pension schemes, largely I moved towards research and then a bit over four years ago, moved towards research in the ETF industry. I find myself captivated by big picture trends that move markets, which is why I find commodities very interesting because each commodity brings with it its own unique story. So with the introductions done, uh, Nitesh, uh, what we 
want to do, of course, is start each episode with a quick recap of what's been happening in commodity markets. How about you take us through some of the most interesting recent developments? Yeah, and uh, given this our very first one, I may go a little bit more longer than a month look back uh, that we hope to do for, in most episodes. But um, I think it's nice just talking about some of the things that we've seen during the course of this year so far. Um, so in, in January, we saw um, the commodity markets open up with a lot of enthusiasm uh, around China's reopening. Uh, China announced its reopening back in, in, in November of uh, 2022. Um, but the market was really absorbing that information and, and putting it into price action uh, by January. Um, however, by February, um, and you know, clouded a little bit by uh, the Chinese New Year and uh, the lack of data that you get around that period, um, a lot of pessimism set in. Um, you know, people became a little bit more uh, skeptical about how much uh, China would change. China's reopening will change the fundamentals for commodity markets. And so just to bear in mind, you know, China is the largest commodity consumer in the world. Um, and even though we started to get some nice prints of data coming out from China, emphasizing its consumption of energy was uh, very strong, its uh, consumption of metals was uh, on the pickup, uh, that, that pessimism was there. And what a lot of people started focusing on was the um, the rest of the world and how stubborn inflation rates are forcing central banks to uh, continue to uh, tighten monetary policy. And with that, um, commodity prices fell uh, as people started to price in a, uh, a softer economic picture for the rest of the year. But then things really shifted uh, this month in, in, in March um, and really the big catalyst was the banking crisis, uh, with the um, with the collapse of SB, SVB Bank and the uh, shotgun marriage of uh, uh, of, of Credit Suisse and uh, UBS. Um, I think the market has become a little spooked, and uh, uh, with financial conditions uh, seeming to tighten up on the back of um, uh, risk uh, coming off. Um, we are seeing that a uh, number of commodities, especially the cyclical commodities, are seeing their prices uh, fall away. Um, it's at the same time that central banks haven't really meaningfully changed their rhetoric around um, tightening uh, rates. And in fact, we've seen uh, all the major developed central banks who, are, who have been tightening um, for the past year continue to tighten in, during the course of March. Um, now, one of the standout performers um, in amongst all this uh, chaos has been gold. Gold is quite different from most of the commodities. Um, it's the least cyclical uh, and it's very defensive. Um, and in this period of uncertainty and, um, and, and, and uh, a risk off um, mode, uh, gold is, you know, it has done well as it typically does. Um, now, in the last week or so, we start to see the dust settle a little. Um, the panic that was taking place a couple of weeks ago seems to be subsiding. And with that, we are seeing the number of commodities um, increase in price. And the markets are starting to relook at some of the fundamentals. For example, uh, we saw um, some good 
numbers last week from the US in terms of petroleum product inventory drawdowns. Um, also in, in um, metal markets, uh, inventory of metals in Shanghai, which have been rising um, for the, the past several weeks, um, in the last week or so, has started to see its numbers ease off. So commodities, um, the fundamentals seem to be looking like they're improving and they're shining through some of the fog uh, that uh, um, the, the banking crisis has like, presented. So I guess that's uh, a generally, you know, my, a, an idea of what's, uh, what's what's been happening over the last few weeks. Um, I don't know, Mobin, if you've got any comments or observations on what, what you've observed over these last few weeks. It's very interesting you mentioned the developments in the banking sector, Nitesh, uh, here in a commodities podcast. And that's the that's the very interesting thing to observe. The recent turmoil in the banking sector and its effect on commodity markets is, is a great reminder of how diverse uh, the commodity basket is. And while some cyclicals like industrial metals and energy were, were initially weighed down, like you said, of course, uh, defensive commodities like gold were actually pulled up. So very interesting to draw that connection between uh, the banking sector and, and, and the various fragments of uh, the commodity market as well. So I think we can move into what we, what we consider to be the main segment of our, of our podcast. And um, as Mabin highlighted earlier on, um, the topic of consideration today is commodity supercycles. So, Mobin, maybe you can tell us uh, what is a commodity supercycle and have there been any in the past? It's a very interesting topic uh, to talk about, uh, Nitesh. Supercycles really are long term trends. And when we talk about a commodity supercycle, we're talking about a prolonged period of high commodity prices. Now, most people who have had some exposure to finance or economics are familiar with the idea of a business cycle whereby the economy goes through these phases of expansion and contraction. But super cycles, in contrast, are relatively less understood phenomena. They tend to last for prolonged periods, often a decade or more, and therefore are less frequent compared to business cycles and are often driven by quite unique drivers. So take, for example, in the 1970s, when in the US, the gold standard was suspended, dollar depreciated meaningfully, and there was high inflation. And alongside that, there was a strong demand for commodities, particularly defensive commodities like gold. And this was further exacerbated by an oil price shock uh, driven by geopolitics. So even at a time when uh, there was a strong run in commodity prices, uh, different commodities were being driven by different forces. Most recently, uh, between 2002 and 2008, we've had a boom in commodity prices. Many people often refer to that as a super cycle. This boom was driven by strong demand from emerging markets, particularly China. And of course, it was brought to an end by the global financial crisis. So very interesting to note that uh, the drivers can be different, not just uh, from one super cycle to another, but even within a super cycle, the drivers for different parts of the commodity spectrum can be quite different. Your thoughts, Nitesh? Yeah, I think that's a very interesting 
Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, commodity super cycles are those phenomenon of um, undercurrents that 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 um, supersede uh, business cycles. So there'll be many many business cycles inside a single commodity super cycle, and um, there's some interesting research out there. Um, one piece in particular that that uh, I like is called "Super Cycles of the Com of Commodity Prices Since the Mid 19th uh, Century." You know, it's a it's a working paper by the uh, UN and you know that that looks at some of the cycles that have occurred in the last um, you know last century or so and you can see you know there's uh, there was one starting in sort of 1980 sorry 1894 to 1932 another one 1932 to 1971 1971 to 1999 and then one from 1999 to that 2000 period that you uh, you were discussing so these are these are cycles from peak to trough the full full cycle so there's an up phase and there's a down phase of those um the um in the full length of the cycles or in those sort of regions of you know 20 years 30 years um as as you say the, you know they're multi-decade uh type of things and the upswing and the downswing they're not necessarily mirrored in equal uh, length or, uh, or so but um you know they can be once again very long you know so some of those up, up, up cycles you know maybe a 20-year up cycle um so you know a couple of the key things is that um with these super cycles occurring just focusing on the single business cycle trends that we see yeah, on a day-to-day -day basis you know based on um current um strength in, in, in you know in economic demand maybe missing some of the picture when you look at broader commodity markets Nitesh, any investor anyone with an interest in markets wants to identify long-term trends as early as possible and of course, uh, people have been observing that uh, we've seen good performance in commodity markets in the last uh, two years, maybe even three years, if you start from March 2020. So the question naturally arises, are we in another commodity super cycle now? That is a great question. And, uh, you know, I, I completely concur that uh, uh, last couple of years have been very strong for commodity prices. Last year in particular, uh, 2022, when most other asset classes, um, especially cyclical assets, were posting double-digit negative returns, commodity was posting double-digit positive returns in percentage terms. So, um, you know that is, uh, is it is huge, and the key, you know as, as you as you state, is that a signal that we have already started this super cycle? Um, well, that means we have all the ingredients in place for a super cycle. Um, but it's a little bit questionable whether that's already started yet. Um, now, let's look at that first point. You know, what are the ingredients for this current super cycle? Um, well, past super cycles have been driven by um, specific um, demand shocks. Um, and what we've seen is that supply has had a hard time catching up with demand for a number of years. That accounts for the up. Uh, swing part of those super cycles. Today, we can see one of those catalysts, um, and that's the energy transition. So moving away from the burning of hydrocarbons to produce our energy uh, needs um, towards renewable sources of energy, um, and all the infrastructure um, that supports renewable sources of energy, um, 
are likely to um, really fuel this this the super cycle, and it becomes very metal intensive, right? Um, to produce solar panels, you need um, silver to produce the batteries that are needed for harnessing the energy from uh, renewable sources of energy and, and um, to release that energy at, at a point of where the, the demand is requires things like batteries, which are high consumers of everything from nickel, aluminium to cobalt and lithium. Um, so metals are definitely one of the big beneficiaries of this energy transition. And what we have observed is that miners of most metals haven't really moved the needle much yet. Um, so even though demand for these big metals, and in the case of nickel, aluminium, uh, copper, um, we are expecting the markets to at least double in size in terms of demand over the next two decades. Um, uh, but yet the supply is unlikely to keep up. So that is very, very strong for the, for the metal markets because prices just have to rise to, uh, to, to plug the gap, as we've seen in the previous super cycles. At the same time, there's also an underinvestment in traditional uh, hydrocarbons like oil and natural gas. And we're probably going to see um, a supply destruction in those other commodities at a faster pace than their demand is declining. So we, we are, remain quite optimistic on, on, on that front. Um, other areas like agriculture also um, are part of the um, the energy transition as increasingly increasingly large number of agricultural products are used in uh, renewable fuels. Um, so that's getting another tailwind. So in many ways, we've got a super cycle here that's slightly different from others in the past that is, is slightly focused on a, on a slightly more narrow band of, of commodities. Um, but um, the fact that there's been underinvestment in other commodities means that we could see you know, a, a number of a large number of commodities simultaneously rise. Now, are we there yet? I'm not sure. The last, you know, two years, which were stellar year growth years in, in commodities, were driven by a number of um, uh, single shocks, which weren't necessarily related to the energy transition. Although the most recent one, the uh, Ukraine war, uh, the reaction to the Ukraine war is for the European Union to wean itself off um, Russian hydrocarbon dependency, and therefore kind of fits nicely into the energy transition, but it wasn't necessarily by design. I don't know, Mobin, if you have any uh, views on whether we've or already started this super cycle. It was very interesting for you, uh, for me to hear you mention agricultural uh, commodities there, Natasha. It, it reminded me of how we can use agricultural waste in renewable fuels, as you said, to uh, produce things like ethanol. We know that uh, you can use crop residue from corn and sugarcane to produce fuels like ethanol, uh, which get used in transportation and a whole host of industrial applications. A very interesting example of the circular economy model where you can take waste and produce energy out of it. So. Uh, yes, uh, I, I concur with your views. It's uh, it's exciting time to be following uh, commodities, uh, but of course tricky to to make that uh, long term uh, call. But of course, it's easy to identify and recognize that these uh, trends are certainly starting to take off. 
So this is, you know, we talked a lot about the super cycle, which, you know, you know, which is unfolding, uh, probably as we speak and do less, uh, for decades, but, you know, this year, 2023, um, you know, commodities and the tail end of 2022 commodities have been under some pressure from, uh, from, from cyclical conditions. Um, what are some of these cyclical conditions that we're facing, Murphy? I don't know if you can go into a little bit of detail there. Yeah. So. Of course, commodities are still a cyclical asset class. And even though we talk about super cycles, we talk about these long-term trends. Of course, at Wisdom Tree, we are excited about the energy transition and its effect on the commodities markets. But commodities aren't immune to what central banks are doing. They aren't immune to recessionary fears. And of course, with the Federal Reserve and other central banks being on this aggressive policy tightening path, as they have been for most of last year and continue to be this year, risk sentiment broadly has taken a hit. Growth stocks were hit and so were commodities, especially sectors like energy and, and industrial metals. The other thing which also relates to that policy tightening is what happens in terms of the US dollar. So most commodities are traded in US dollar terms. And typically we see that when the dollar appreciates, which was the case for most of last year, demand from buyers of these commodities tends to go down. That's why we tend to have this rule of thumb that when the dollar appreciates, commodities uh, tend to go down. And lastly, of course, we've had lockdowns in China, which uh, put a further dent on the demand for commodities. But that's an interesting point because you mentioned in the beginning, Nitesh, uh, China being an important uh, driver and the reopening of China being an important driver. I've mentioned it here as a headwind for commodity markets for several months, particularly uh, for most months in 2022. But here in 2023, everyone's talking about the reopening of China and what that means for commodity markets. So uh, talk us through uh, how important is the reopening of China for commodities and maybe which commodities are most impacted? Yeah, I think a bit of context here is, is useful. Um, China is the largest consumer of most commodities. Um, if we look at um, copper, zinc, lead, aluminium, you know, China accounts for at least 40% of the consumption of those metals. Um, that is huge as a single country uh, consuming that, that much of, of each individual metal. Um, and so while the, most of the world, um, which reopened uh, after COVID, sort of in the middle of you know, 2021 and 2022 was probably the nice clear year of, you know, full economic uh, throttle for most um, other countries, um, China uh, was closed. And so the, while commodity markets benefited from the opening of all these other economies, um, it didn't have the participation of its largest consumer. Now China is reopened. So that, that's got to be big for, for commodities. Um, and um, Assuming you know China maintains its traditional role in in, in global markets um, and you know, remains one of the largest uh, manufacturers uh, for, for the world, um, that's going to be very positive for 
uh, for consumption of commodities. But the story is a little bit nuanced. Um, so China is also contending with uh, a re big real estate fallout, um, and uh, you know that had been dragging the, the, its economy. Real estate is also a big consumer of commodities. Think about all the steel structures that need to go uh, into building a property, the cement and all those sort of things. Um, now, in combined with the China reopening, is also government support to uh, the real estate sector. And it's not going to be um, delivered in the same way as some of the stimulus we saw back in 2008, which really um, saved almost the, the global economy from uh, uh, implosion. You know, uh, uh, back then China went all out on, um, on, on, on a sort of real estate uh, stimulus. Right now, I think China is, what it wants to do at least achieve is half finished construction products should come to completion and be sold off. So at least, you know, salvaging off uh, some of the, um, you know, the, 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 the best, some of the better products. Now that is actually very beneficial to uh, certain metals like copper, for example. Um, when a, a property is just about to be completed, that's when you put the wiring in, that's when you put the uh, pipes in. Um, that's when the white goods come in, you know, the washing machines, the refrigerators, um, they are all uh, base metal uh, intensive. So that's a, a very positive from, thing for, from that standpoint. Now, looking at the data um, since, uh, you know, since the beginning of this year, as I mentioned earlier on, you have this little fog uh, period around uh, the Chinese New Year when, you know, the data is not printed at the right, you know, uh, frequency, and uh, uh, you know the, the, the lunar new year doesn't happen at the same time each year, so the seasonal um, comparisons are quite difficult. But the data we've done since then shows that um, the purchasing managers' indices for the manufacturing sector has been growing strongly, and has risen above the 50 uh, demarcation between contraction and expansion. So China is an expansion on, on manufacturing. Purchase and managed indices. And in fact, it hit a 12 year high, highest level since 2012, sorry, um, which you know, is a momentum gauge. It's not saying manufacturing is at the highest level since then, but it's saying from the momentum uh, offered in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the industrial sector is at a, at a 12 year high. Um, <clears throat> one thing that's probably going to drag China a little uh, right now uh, compared to last year and the year before is the fact that the other countries are slowing down in terms of growth and that does slow down china's exports so china being a big manufacturer for the rest of the world um you know that's that that part of the story adds a, a hint of weakness at this point in time uh, and as we talked about earlier on central banks of many developing developed world countries are actually uh, you know raising rates tightening monetary policy that adds a little bit of risk to chinese export sector but from a domestic standpoint, China seems to be roaring at this point. Natasha, it was interesting to observe that people probably got very excited about the China reopening story at the start of the year. Uh, a lot of excitement about what impact that might have on certain commodities like copper, as you mentioned. And then maybe in February, people got a bit disappointed because the data just wasn't coming through as uh, much as they were hoping for. But now, like you said, uh, things are beginning to 
materialize, uh, the data is starting to improve, and expectations are beginning to come to us a, a, a reasonable level, which uh, which is in line with the idea that the China reopening isn't something that's going to happen over a span of days or weeks. It's a story for 2023, and economic data can't just... Uh, suddenly become uh, very good over, over a few days. It's, it, it unfolds over, over months, and we're starting to see that in effect with some of the uh, indicators, like you mentioned. So I suppose more to come on the China reopening story in the coming months uh, would be the key uh, takeaway. Uh, would you agree? Yes, I, I think so. Um, yeah, I know China's Offered some relatively modest uh, growth forecasts for the for this year, uh, or, or you know uh, targets for this year, um, but in, in true China fashion, <laughs> you know the the targets are one thing, what it delivers maybe another thing. So uh, it's 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 good to it, it may in fact beat beat on those. Um, but back to sort of um, you know our earlier topic of the energy transition. Um, uh, I briefly outlined some uh, materials that are likely to benefit, but I mean, I don't know if you can give it, give us some more detail. You know, what, what, in your opinion, are some of the key quantities that are going to be the main beneficiaries of it, of an energy transition? Sure, Nathesh. So you mentioned copper. Certainly, that uh, is the first one that immediately comes to mind. Uh, take the example of an electric vehicle. An electric vehicle has three to four times more copper compared to a similar internal combustion engine car. Now, wherever there is electricity, as you said, whether it's white goods installed in homes, wiring, uh, or energy transition applications, wherever there's an electric current going through uh, these these, uh, applications, there is probably copper, copper being one of the best electrical conductors in the world. And because of its physical properties, very malleable, can be used to make wires. So in the energy transition space, uh, renewable power generation, uh, energy distribution uh, in, in, in terms of the grid, and of course, energy storage, all of these things are very uh, copper intensive. And then ultimately, all the applications like electric vehicles that will use uh, all that renewable energy that we are producing. Uh, Other metals that come to mind are nickel, aluminium, uh, zinc, tin, uh, all have very distinct roles to play in the energy transition. And I suppose uh, they could all form uh, topics of uh, future podcast episodes. Uh, One thing that's very interesting in, in this discussion about each of them having unique roles to play in the energy transition is because each has a very unique Uh, set of physical properties, uh, it is very difficult, if not impossible, to substitute one for another. We hear about uh, the use of uh, of nickel in batteries, for example, uh, but we hear about the use of aluminium, not just in batteries, but we also hear about the use of aluminium in making the cars and the trains and the planes lighter and safer, uh, potentially as a replacement for stainless steel. Uh, so uh, aluminium will have a very different role to play compared to nickel in the energy transition. And same is the case with uh, zinc and tin uh, and, and so forth. So those are some of the obvious uh, industrial metals which people are familiar with. But Nitesh, maybe 
before we close, it would be interesting for our viewers to just hear a, a, a little bit about some of the precious metals that have industrial characteristics as well uh, and potentially have a role to play in the energy transition. Uh, would you like to shed some uh, light on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so um, I guess one of the big uh, precious metals that comes from mind is silver. Um, it's used heavily in photovoltaics, so the solar panels, um, you know, the, which is a, one of the fastest growing sources of, of renewable energy. Um, and, you know, you, you'd, you'd look at the silver market, you know, maybe say 10 years ago, where photovoltaics were almost like a footnote in terms of their, uh, uh, you know, in terms of its overall demand usage. Uh, but now um, photovoltaics are acting like one of the bigger uh, proportion of, of of demand, you know, completely having superseded um, you know the silver that was used in say photography, for for example, you know that used to be a big thing uh, back in the days when uh, you know people used to use uh, you know uh, film negatives, you know, when uh, in thirty five mil films. Um, so um, silver is is a big thing, um, but also you know when we think about energy transition, it's not just electric vehicles that are you know offering. Um, you know, reduced uh, greenhouse gas emissions for our transportation systems. Uh, we'll need many solutions, including um, hydrogen fuel cell vehicles. And uh, platinum, uh, or the platinum group metals are quite important here um, because they can act as a, uh, a catalyst in electrolyzers. So the electrolyzers are used for making the hydrogen in the first place. And hydrogen can be made in very uh, green ways. Um, so we can use renewable sources of energy uh, and use hydrogen as the energy carrier to store that energy and put that into uh, hydrogen fuel cell cars. And hydrogen fuel cell cars also use a little bit of that uh, platinum in their uh, in the in, in the fuel cell itself. So there are many different avenues for actually consumption of uh, of um, uh, of precious metals in this energy transition as well. So I think we've covered quite a bit here uh, in our first uh, episode. And, um, you know, as Mobin, you mentioned, I think we'll be drilling into uh, some of these segments that we've, that we've touched on very lightly uh, today in future episodes. But I think we're uh, nearing the end of our time. I'd say the key takeaway uh, for, for our listeners uh, today is that um, commodities are influenced by a strong undercurrent, and that undercurrent is called a super cycle. And it's not obvious that you know when we, we are in the upswing of a, of a super cycle phase, and very often we find out almost after the fact. But you know, business cycle activity tends to dominate short-term moves in commodity markets, and it's much easier to identify them and all the push and pull factors that the business cycles um, have on commodity markets. If you are an investor uh, or someone who's looking at the commodity markets with a keen interest uh, with a strategic allocation, um, you'll be wise to keep an eye on some of these longer term uh, cycles because they can either propel or detract from your performance uh, for, for many for the course of many years, in fact, decades. So I think that's one of the uh, big takeaways I would like uh, or to take away today. I don't know, Mabin, if you have any uh, takeaways you would like to highlight? I'd say Nitesh commodities are an idiosyncratic bunch. Uh, each commodity has its unique place in the world that we live in. 
And it seems like commodities have announced themselves uh, once again in recent years. So it makes sense for all of us to learn about them uh, or relearn uh, about them and uh, why they matter to us and the world that we live in. Great. Well, thanks everyone uh, for tuning in. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed uh, this podcast of the Commodity Exchange. If you want to hear more from us, uh, please subscribe on whichever platform you're using. You can follow us on Twitter at NiteshShahWT and at MubeenTaherWT. And if you want to learn more about commodities, visit Wisdom Tree's website where we have a wide range of research materials and insights. So until next time, take care.